0: Stand out from the crowd by gaining the right experience. The next step in your cybersecurity journey starts with Cybrary. Sign up for the Insider Pro or Teams product to learn and develop skills and reach your goals. It's episode 57 of the CyberAid podcast, and we welcome Tina Kuhn, president of CyberCore Technologies, to talk about supply chains. With attacks as recent as solar winds and future attacks that will inevitably occur, Mike and Tina discuss everything from counterfeit equipment and hardware tampering to the state of critical infrastructure and how to evaluate products for optimal security. Hi, and welcome back to Cybrary's podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gruen, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cybrary. And today we're joined by Tina Kuhn. Um, Tina, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Um, Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm Tina Kuhn, the president of Cybercore Technologies.
0: Cool, and uh, what does Cybercore Technologies do?
1: Um, So Cybercore specializes in supply chain security. And what I mean by that, um, it's really uh, looking at electronic equipment and, and the supply chain, uh, how it's being made, how it's being transported to make sure that it's not counterfeit, to make sure that uh, what should be in the equipment is in there, that there isn't anything extra, um, that's um, doing any malware. So we bring equipment into our building, we scrape the BIOS, we do some cyber testing, we check to make sure the serial numbers, the network cards, um, they're they're all consistent with what the manufacturer has told us should be there. Um, And then uh, we package it up and then send it securely to our customers. So one of the things we also do, which is interesting, is we look at every vendor that we do business with. So every uh, manufacturer or distributor, anybody we buy software or hardware from, we do a whole analysis of risk factors on that uh, company. So we have about 150 um, threat vectors that we look at, and we use some artificial intelligence, some machine learning. We also look at about 115 languages. We have some natural language processing. So we basically scrape the internet, dark web, deep web, and find uh, things out about companies to assess their risk. So, of the things we look at is, are the leadership, do they have nefarious contacts with foreign um, governments that are enemies of the United States? Are are they in legal trouble? Are they in financial trouble? Um, What's their cyber profile? Can we find things on the deep and dark web that shows they've been uh, breached? So we do a report. Basically, we do a risk report on every company we do business with in order to reduce the the threats of something happening to the equipment before it gets to us.
0: Cool. And I think um, it's interesting because, you know, uh, supply chain is in the news these days with solar SolarWinds. Um, and right. obviously, it's a very different type of uh, supply chain. And there's the physical supply chain, which I think people sort of forget about, I think they, or maybe not, I don't know, take for granted. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting and, and you know, um, to think about, like, are there lessons we can learn from one or the other? Like, how does the hardware supply chain security and... and what lessons maybe could software use and, and vice versa? I'm curious what your thoughts are.
1: Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. So, you know, we tend to look at cybersecurity as network security. Right. You know, there's a lot of network tools, and yet it's a much bigger bigger issue than what we think of. I mean, I, look, right now you can, you can put malware in power cords that can exfil data out from your equipment that's not on your network. You can put, um, a qu- you know, malware or, or some device into equipment before it even. It comes in a box that looks like it's the manufacturer, but it could be tampered with, um, right? So, and I think Solar Winds has been a really good example of how how much bigger the cyber, uh, the scope of cyber attacks is than what we typically think of. And I- you know, the only silver lining I can see with the, the solar winds hack is it's opening people's eyes up to what uh, the complexity and the, uh, how smart our enemies are um, to try and get into our systems.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think right. If there's if there's a positive that comes from it, it's the <clears throat> ability to go into a boardroom or into wherever or, or to upper management or wherever and say this is a risk. This is actual impact. This is no longer a theoretical risk. It's an actual, you know, it's it's a proven thing. It's it's one thing to say, you know, there's there's bad weather and there's hurricanes that happen and there's a possible flood or whatever. But after it happens and you sort of see the devastation, you can see that you know, makes it a lot easier to talk about, even though it's a it's not what you want. Um, you know, you'd much prefer that you could have that abstract. And I think it is interesting to think about like the similarities between physical and virtual, like the same the same types of like things that you can do in terms of inserting something into a box, right? The physical like hardware, right? Well, that's exactly the same problems that you have with software dependencies. It's someone injecting something into this package. I mean, they're actually called packages, um, you know, in libraries and things right. like that. And it's it's a very similar thing. Um, and yeah, the um, when you're talking about um, uh, outlets and things like that, I bought um, a device that sits between my um, for charging, so that at, for a USB charger that only that, that only allows electricity through. It doesn't allow any data as like a thing. Because if I want to go to the airport and use you know one of the USB chargers or something that's already there, you have no idea like, is that the real thing that people can tamper with it? And so uh, that was one of the, you know, I was traveling and I wanted to make sure. And I think that's, you know, there's little things that people can do, um, but they don't even realize they need to do or should do. Um, Right. Oh, I I think
1: people don't think about, you know, when they get a box, uh, you know, that looks like it's a manufacturer box, it's packed like it came from the manufacturer. They assume that it's from the manufacturer, but you know there's lots of counterfeit out there that has the same packaging uh, capability, um, and and yet uh, we had one um, customer that they they bought the lowest. They went out and did a, a low cost bid for a bunch of of um, actually it was a bunch of servers. Um, got them in. They it was counterfeit that had malware on it. They had got malware all through their network. It cost them millions to clean it up.
0: Right. It cost them way more probably.
1: Oh oh yeah. They probably saved, you know, maybe um, $30,000 going to the low cost and, and it cost them millions to do the cleanup. So, you know, I think we need to really look at our, you know, what were electronics, our electronic equipment, our software, everything that goes onto our system i think we need to look at and figure out where it where it comes from so we had we had one company that we were um we actually it was we did our own um, risk analysis on it and it was a software company and we found u.s based company because we have a lot of government contract government contracts so we have to be very careful um it looks like a u.s company Leadership is U.S. company, but we found all the software was being done um, by people that had close ties with the Russian government, mm. right? So, and you wouldn't know that with a just a search of the company, because they put it out for contractors to do their software. They didn't do the software in-house, and who they hired were citizens of a, a Country that was is not friendly to the U.S. So, um, so I think we need to really think about both our hardware and software supply, where it all comes from. We're, you know, we're a global um, world, but yet, and we get, you know, we get software and and hardware from all sorts of places, and I think we just need to be aware of that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think what was eye opening for me was I was working. Um, government contractor we had a contract with um uh Nsa I believe uh and we had to all of the there was some hardware that needed to be purchased to, as like to be put into a uh into an environment sorry I'm trying to not give out too much information amen <laughs> anyway. The short version was, like, that's when I became aware of, like, everything that went into looking at that hardware and making sure that it was actually what it's supposed to be. You know, we were like, oh, you know, we should buy a hard, you know, it needs a bigger hard drive. And they were like, well, you know, make sure to do that. Like, it didn't even, that's when I started doing more and more research and learned, like, oh, yeah, these, sometimes these hard drives that you're buying, you know, whether, you know, big box store or whatever, potentially, has malware pre-installed on it, ready to go, in hopes that it's going to end up in some system that's meaningful. Like, chances are nobody cares uh, about what I'm, you know, my home system, but there's still that threat, and I think that was pretty eye-opening was to learn about that supply chain and how vulnerable it is. I think... um, at that same time was when I learned about there was a story about Cisco I think where there were black market goods being inserted into their supply chain that yep. caused all kinds of problems and um do you know do you know more about that story because I I only know it sort of from the outside I imagine you you probably have more more information than I do.
1: Yeah, so um so this was maybe the year and a half ago um uh, about 30% of what people thought they were buying with Cisco um, was really counterfeit. So uh, you know, so companies would buy a Cisco router. And when you have a router, that that's like the keys to the kingdom, right? right. Um, and so Cisco has done a good job at, at kind of cleaning that up and, and routing that out. But, but at one time, there was a lot of counterfeit that was coming in and, and basically coming in through distributors, coming in through um, other places. And people thought they were buying it. From Cisco, but it but the distributors and other. So the the way the way hardware is typically routed, it goes from the manufacturer to a, a distributor. It's kind of a middleman, mm-hmm. and, and they they have it in their warehouses for a long time, and then it gets um, sold to um, you know either somebody that's going to integrate it or the end customer, right? So you have this you, you have a pretty complex chain when it goes from manufacturer to when it gets to the customer. Sometimes two two hops, three hops. Um, and so each one of those places need to be secured. Right. Um, and and so Cisco has really clean that up. But it's every manufacturer has that issue where there's a lot of counterfeit out there. Uh, and you just have to be careful what you buy and make sure your distributors are um, top notch. And they're ones that treat security with the uh, utmost. Um, what's the right word.
0: Tell me the right word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's right. High priority or whatever. Yeah. Right, I high, hear you.
1: utmost priority. Right. Um so, but they, that's
0: funny that cuz you said it was a year and a half ago but I seem to recall that same the story that I'm recall thinking of was probably closer to 10 years ago. Um so it must be recur- I mean it's it's clearly a recurring problem of securing right. these things and and um and not to th- I mean right as you said I'm not trying to pick on Cisco I think every every manufacturer oh, has it, like yeah.
1: Right when they I, they have a lot of good security but once they once it leaves their facility you know, it goes to FedEx or UPS or you know, but whoever is delivering it, or it goes to an Amazon or or, or Walmart or you know, whatever um, retail place or another distributor, and then it sits in their warehouse. Do they have all U.S. citizens there? Who's touching the equipment um, there? Can they swap out counterfeit goods? Can they? You know, there's um, there's a, a complex. Um, set of, of steps and then you have the transportation right you know we um we do track um our the equipment that comes into our building very closely and we've had times where we lost track of a truck because their gps went down or something happened and we refuse to take that equipment uh,
0: so i was going to ask is like how so are you guys checking 100 percent of the stuff or are you doing sampling how do you like I don't know how much equipment you're getting, but it seems like doing 100% would be problematic.
1: (laughs) It would be. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, it depends on the customer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have a lot of different customers that have different risk profiles. So some of them want a 100% check. Some of them want kind of a basic, just serial number check, but not a, a deep interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one customer. We have um, something new that we're rolling out, and it does a hardware interrogation of every single thing in that box. And then we have from the manufacturer what what is in that box. Like so we a can manifest. tell if, Yeah, it's like a more like a bill of material. Right, it's, right. It's a list of, of what's in there, so we can tell if even some of the um, the Smaller parts in there are counterfeit or not. So that that takes, and then if we find something, we take the box open, which is pretty intrusive. So you don't want to do that for, for everyone. Right. Um, and then we have a machine vision that can basically looks at a picture of, the, um, of the, the inside of the box and then compares it to what the manufacturer has given us to what should be there to see. We can tell even if, There's a different color in the metal. Um, We can tell if there's something that's implanted there that shouldn't be there, Um, things like that. So that's that's kind of the the deepest level um, that we have. So we do the kind of the scanning first and see if there's any anomalies that we see. And then we can, if we are, then we can do the the actual um, machine vision uh, part, which is a little more um, intrusive.
0: So no. aside, aside from governments, who else, like what other uh, companies or what types of industries are, are, are you guys working with?
1: Um, so CyberCore is mainly um, a government contractor. Okay. We have contracts with about 17 different agencies, um, but we, we're we just starting to get some more commercial um, contracts, mainly with companies that do business with the government because they um, are willing to pay for deeper checks.
0: Right because they, of they're held because the risk. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, yes. yeah, I was because just filling, I was just filling yes. out some paperwork the other day that was attesting testing to the fact that we don't use hardware from certain places. And da, da. like, luckily these are not problems for us because of what we do, but, um, it was easy to get right. through that, but I could imagine other, com- other manufacturers or other supply government suppliers. So do you think, I mean, like I'm always fascinated by like OT, um, operational technology and like, whether it's infrastructure or cars and stuff like that are similar companies as you like to you guys, are they involved in helping those manufacturers, like the people like for critical infrastructure or transportation is the same sort of stuff happening there? Or am I getting on a 50% uh, compromised plane that has lots of counterfeit (laughs) materials? (laughs)
1: Um, So, so critical infrastructure, it's a huge topic now. Right. Um, because you just saw the, um, the breach in the water facility in Florida. You know, it's a lot of older systems. They, they haven't had the, the cybersecurity that they really. Well, they were um, never should. meant to
0: be. They, they were built before the Internet. They were never designed <laughs> to, to be online. <laughs> <So>. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> um, so so they're starting to. So that's starting to get a lot of attention is our critical infrastructure. But I believe things like planes, uh, they've had lots of security for, uh, uh, you know, a long time. Uh, but I think some of the other parts of our infrastructure are not so much because it's low cost, you know, our electrical grid, our, you know, our water system. Now, I think there's, um, what is there, 18 critical infrastructure areas yeah. um, that the, the government, But but what I'm seeing right now is the government is starting to look at that. And they're putting money toward helping the critical infrastructure um, get their cybersecurity um, up to the level that it should be. And it's starting, um, and I think the solar winds was also highlighted the supply chain risk and the critical infrastructure um, risk. So I'm, I'm happy about that, um, that there's more attention, but, but I think there is a risk in our critical infrastructure right now.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there there absolutely is. And I think yeah. it's, it's funny, when I think about it a little bit, like, um, I uh, did a podcast not that long ago about um, voting machines and voting security and stuff like that, which is probably part of the, the same thing. But one of the supposed advantages that our voting system has is this it's a distributed system, every county does it differently, it'd be impossible to hack, I won't get into like why because of the Electoral College, it doesn't really matter. There's like four count. You just have to hack four counties um, to take an election. But anyway, a right. national election. Um, but the same thing that makes that system resilient is exactly what makes like our critical infrastructure so hard to secure because there's a bazillion systems and it's at all these, there's the, you have the city water, you have the county water, you have the state, and then you have, you know, and, and so that there's not, it's not so easy to figure out what, who's responsible for it, get the money in the right hands. Do they even have the resources to do what's necessary? I think it's is a, is a big challenge.
1: Great. Um, but you know that a lot of them go to the same manufacturers to buy the same type of equipment. So if you go back to the source again, to the supply chain, if you go back to where um, they're getting all of their software, you know, there can't be that many, um, you know, water control software, system that's up now right, <laughs> right. Um, so i you know while it's distributed there's still a limited amount of um sources uh, of that so I, you know there's there's always a risk
0: that's great it's very rare that i walk away from these conversations feeling mm-hmm. slightly more optimistic so thank you for that <laughs> 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 so yeah um i think you know i you know, one thing we, you know, you and I were talking before this um, is just sort of about our backgrounds and our careers and how we got to where we are. And, you know, I don't want to skip over that. I think we could talk all day about, you know, supply chain and stuff like that. I don't know what our audience's tolerance for that is, but I am sort of curious about your background a little bit and where you came from and, and how you got into your role. Cause I think it seems like a pretty unique journey.
1: Um, yeah, so I started out as a software engineer. Um, my, my first job, way cool job was um, programming a Landsat satellite. Um, at NASA, um, so and then I just ended up in cybersecurity through the offensive side, um, and then uh, you know I've just stayed in cybersecurity the, the rest of my career. Actually, I, I was in there before it was called cyber. I remember when that term um, came up, so I'm, I'm dating myself, but um, but yeah, I just think it's a a fascinating field. I think it's it's always evolving, so that it, it makes it interesting. Um, so I would like to, I'll just get on my high horse for a minute, but I would like to, to just talk about women in cyber, um, you know, in the, um, late seventies and kind of early to mid eighties, there was a huge push to get women into engineering fields. Um, there was, I saw a statistic in, I think it was 1984, there are 34% of women in computer science and now there's 18%. Um, it's been a huge drop off, and yet it's the one field, one of the few fields where women and men uh, their um, salary is about equal. You know, a lot of other professions, it's it's unequal between men and women, and and the technical fields, um, they're ones that you can work remote. They're, there's you know, they're higher salaries. There's huge advantages and. I would just like to encourage anybody um, who's a, a woman or ha- has women or girls in their life um, to encourage a career in in some type of cyber engineering um, field.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I can't agree more. Um, I didn't know that that statistic, I didn't realize that things had actually dropped. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, but I do agree. Like it's one of the most flexible um, in terms of right. your ability to work when you work, like, you know, um, and in terms of the flexibility, because there's so many different places where so many different sized organizations that can use, whether it's cybersecurity engineer, software engineer, testing, whatever it is in technology, there's so many different things. Um, and it's so many, like all these different types of companies that you can usually find, like it's, you can find a job that fits your your lifestyle, what you want to do, how, you know, right. your career, your goals um, and your life goals. And then on top of it, like, there's all these different types of problems to solve. And software engineering is a particular type of problem of building things. Cybersecurity is protecting those things. Testing is figuring out how they break and helping the rest of the group understand how to have them break gracefully or, you know, or break, you know, at least understand how they're going to break. And then you decide what you're going to do with that information and, um, you know, in design. There's so much, you know, I think, um, I like that, like, you know, I'm also, I guess I'm climbing up on your high horse. I like that engineering isn't just math. And I think that that's a big, like my background. So right. I I have a comp sci degree, but I minored in English essentially, um, essentially almost a double major. And almost everything I did was in poetry, like right? writing uh, poetry workshops and creative writing. And the number of engineers I work with who aren't particularly mathy, but are super creative, whether they're mu- musicians or artists or whatever, I would say, depending, you know, there's, 80, 90% of what you are doing is creative problem solving or, or creativity. And I think, you know, we put so much emphasis on STEM in terms of math, like the the math part of STEM, when really, I think science in general has a lot of creativity. And I think that that's not talked about enough. And I, you know, I would encourage people to really get involved. I think there's so many different avenues for you to get involved in a technology field. And it's not necessarily just coding. Um,
1: right, right. But, you know, that's a great point. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, And yet to get a degree in computer science, you have to get through some heavy math and you have to have it in high school. Right. Um, And to get it in high school, you basically have to do it in middle school. So, uh, you know, I think our colleges need to change. So what I am seeing is a great trend is I'm seeing um, a lot of two year um, degrees and certifications in cyber and and companies hiring people that have certifications and not necessarily a four-year degree or a two-year degree plus certifications so i think that's opening the field up um a little bit to people that are either changing careers or people where for, you know four degree is is difficult either because of money or you know time or, or yeah i don't even whatever. know what the
0: return on that investment is i mean frankly like right. i i Right. I went to Maryland. I have a you know um CS degree. I wouldn't change anything that I've done. Uh, and I learned a lot. I learned how to learn I learned how to learn languages. I learned like computer science, which it sometimes is very helpful. But in terms of like as a software engineer or as a cybersecurity person, like I've worked with some of the best engineers I've ever worked with or cybersecurity professionals I've ever worked with, had zero like didn't go to college. They went into the army and then got some skills there. Or they went directly into working. And so I, you know, or they have a um a liberal arts degree and they're, you know, very creative. They have an art background or whatever. And they started doing UI. They started doing some design. And they're like, oh, this is interesting. Right. And then they started learning HTML. And you start learning, oh, look, I can I can actually make something that does more than this. And I I think that a comp side degree is Helpful in some cases, certainly not required. Um, I think there's so much that you can learn without going to, without that degree um, and be very successful in in technology at at any number of levels. There's so many different, even if you're not the most, even if you're technically challenged, there's so many careers in technology where um, you can fit from product management and project management and like just helping to, corral cats. I mean, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, let me give you one example. I had a team of hackers that, um, I had working for me. They were good guy hackers. Right. Um, but on the team was a sociologist right? because that was, it was a really important function to look at the the social part of, you know, create these honeypot websites to, to look at who that the enemies are, um, from a social point of view um, you know that's what spearfishing is it's doing yeah. social engineering um, you know, this was be on the, the, the other side um, but there's there's jobs that aren't technical and, yeah. and even I, I think there's I, I agree with you completely I don't think the heavy math is is required to do a good job and you know the system administration of every single company is the first line cyber person. Yeah, they may not have a cyber title, but that system administrator is the one that's helping to um, protect the company.
0: Yeah, I mean, even even the, I mean, going tying it back to what we talked about in the beginning, even buying the hard, even sourcing that hardware. Like, hey, rather than buying the um, third party charger, go ahead and buy the actual manufacturer charger because you might be saving the company a few bucks, but but are you? Um, you know those types right. of things, and and you know, I know that the you know. Um, those chargers for example even if you're even if you're not worried about from a cybersecurity perspective just they fail faster they burn things out they don't meet the specifications there's reasons not to buy them but i think again it's that same you're you're that front line and and everything i think the there's yeah lots of opportunity um for lots of people uh i i I would love to get more uh more people in general in cyber, but yes, yeah, specifically women. I think there's great organizations out there we have um, relationships with um, and there's, there's plenty of them out there. Um, there's, you know, um, why I say I, I, I always forget the acronyms, um, but women in cybersecurity and, yeah. and others. Um, and I encourage people to go and check those out. Um,
1: yeah. The women in cybersecurity is amazing. I'm actually uh, part of the leadership of uh, of the critical infrastructure um affiliate chapter. Oh. Um, yeah. So it's a, a great organization. It does a lot of mentoring, helping um to find jobs for women, um, training, um, you know, provide um avenues to get training. So I would encourage any woman to to sign up and and be a part of that organization. Just has a lot of great resources.
0: That's great to know. Yeah. And we do a lot with them as well. We love, we love working with them. So um yeah, that's great to know. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Any, any final thoughts? Any parting words?
1: No, thank you very much. And um, it was so much fun to, to be here. And I appreciate the time. Yep.
0: Thanks again. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.